The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, everyone. In 2014, a BNF software engineer approached me and said, Hey, I've got an idea. Let's use computer vision and machine learning on satellite images to identify and count up solar panels. Whoa, huge high five. No one actually knows how much solar is installed around the world. Everybody has guesses, but no one actually knows. So getting an actual tally would be amazing. And checking back on a regular basis would allow us to measure build out locally and globally. I was in. So they built an initial algorithm and it worked. It identified residential and commercial solar panels and filtered out false positives like skylights, swimming pools, and the like. Awesome. Now, all we needed was images. Well, it turns out back then, coverage was incomplete. Satellites in orbit at the time were not covering all geographies. And when they were, it was infrequent, like years between passes. So the attempt failed. We were too early, I guess. We tried a few more times, but were stopped short by issues with image resolution and the computing power needed to process all that imagery. This week on the show... We've got BNF technology analyst Sara Raza here to tell us how the satellite industry has caught up. Now, over a thousand small satellites scan the Earth all day every day and are matched by several companies specializing in turning what those satellites see into usable data, making our use case and countless others possible. Our discussion is based on a report titled Tiny Satellites, Space's Next Frontier. BNF users can get this report on BNF.com, the BNF mobile app, and the Bloomberg Terminal. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNF podcast. Sarah, hi, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Can you start us off with the very basics? Just what is a small satellite? So a small satellite is basically anything below 500 kilograms. Within that, there are different kind of variations. So you've got microsatellites that are below 100 kilograms, nanosatellites that are below 10 kilograms, and you've even got picosatellites that are below one kilogram. So why are they out there? Why are we seeing these emerge into the market? So I think that's for a variety of reasons. We have this demand for more data. We want more data to analyze. We want more data to visualize different things on maps and satellite imagery. So I think the demand for this data is one of the main reasons. And then something that, you know, has kind of allowed this to happen is the continued improvement in the miniaturization of subsystems, sensors, miniature computers. And a lot of this innovation is obviously coming from adjacent sectors such as the smartphone industry and consumer electronics. So it seems like there's kind of two sides of this that are pushing it. There's improvement in technology that are enabling the satellites to be made uh, and sent into space, and we'll get to that. But the other part is a, a hunger or a thirst for more data. The third part, I guess, is though those two things are pushing to to what end? Like, what are people using this you know new data for? So it's it's actually pretty interesting in terms of the different use cases that's based on the different technologies, right? So you've got things like satellite imagery. That can help with precision agriculture for things like crop production, soil seeding zones. This kind of optical imagery can also help with fixed asset monitoring, such as, you know, for oil and gas, well pad construction, change detection, pipeline maintenance. 
Again, that can also have applications in, you know, for renewables, for the construction of wind farms, solar parks. I mean, that's just one technology, right? That's just using miniaturized cameras on satellites. Can you help us out with that to visualize what is actually happening here when you say it's helping to monitor a fixed asset? And just a fixed asset could be like an oil well or a power plant or something like that. How does it actually work? Obviously, you may be familiar with large geostationary satellites. These are, you know, thousands of kilometers above the Earth's surface, and they kind of hover in a in a stationary orbit. These kind of tiny satellites orbit in something called a polar orbit. So you might have seen images of tons of satellites in a ring around the Earth, and these operate in a constellation form rather than independent large satellites. The crucial difference, which allows for a high revisit rate over the same spots on the Earth and ultimately global coverage. I remember a few years ago, we were looking at, a few years ago, this is like six years ago now, we were looking at getting some imagery to look at solar panel build out. But the problem back then was we, we would only get revisiting of a particular area with the satellite technology available once every six months, seven months. But we've revisited it recently and the coverage can be daily. Is that kind of what you're getting at here? Yeah, exactly. So you can even get twice daily coverage too. And bear in mind, this is dependent on the number of these tiny satellites that you have in these rings around the Earth. The more satellites you have in one of these rings, the higher the revisit rate. So there's a bunch of satellites in rings that essentially create a scanner around the Earth. Exactly. And on top of these rings, they all are usually flown in a low Earth orbit, But if I wanted to launch a constellation of satellites myself, is there space for me? So that's a great question. There is space. The actual... Space in space? Is that a bad one? (laughs) There's a a lot of space in space. So there isn't much regulation currently on moving away dead satellites. The ESA and NASA try to regulate as much as they can. Everyone's main question is once these small satellites finish their end of life, they usually, because they're so small, just burn up in the atmosphere. So is there something on them to kick them out of orbit and going into a descent? Most of these CubeSats do have propulsion systems. And what they'll do is they'll use their last little bit of fuel to propel them into the atmosphere. So can you describe the basics of what exactly is the small satellite value chain? I would say there are roughly kind of seven stages to this value chain. So you start with the satellite design. That satellite design can usually come from the satellite operator. Then you've got kind of the sensor manufacturing. Now this sensor, you know, can be from a research institute, a university, a small company that's well-versed in sensor manufacturing for temperature, atmospheric composition. Then you've got the satellite manufacturing, which again is usually outsourced to a manufacturing company. Then you've got launch services, ground operation, data and analytics, and end user sales. Now, what we're seeing with this value chain is a lot of vertical integration. So operators like Planet and Spire actually integrate all stages of the value chain except launch services. Have they started data integration or data analysis as well? Yes. So obviously we know that there are separate companies like Orbital Insight, Descartes Labs, Kairos, who look at data analytics specifically. But a lot of these satellite operators have seen, right, instead of just providing people with the raw data, why don't we just analyze it ourselves, hire a couple of data scientists and do this ourselves? Is there consolidation amongst the startups right now or 
you know, somebody like Lockheed or some other incumbent going to come in and buy up all these startups? What's really interesting is we're seeing a lot of consolidation M&A in the manufacturing stage of the value chain. So we're seeing these large aerospace companies like Boeing, Airbus, Lockheed, Northrop Grumman. We're seeing them acquiring some of the leading manufacturers specifically in tiny satellites. So some of these startups, Boeing, you know, has got Millennium Space Systems, Airbus took Surrey Satellite Technology, Northrop Grumman took Orbital ATK, Maxar took uh, Space Systems Laurel. And these kind of startups were really coming up with innovative techniques to manufacture CubeSats and nanosatellites on a large scale. So do you see that as the future of this industry, that it's just going to be consolidated amongst the the old incumbents? Or do you think these startups will grow into fully-fledged competitors to those other players? I think in terms of satellite operators, such as Planet, Spire, Satellogic, Capella, I do see those growing. In terms of the manufacturing companies, I see a lot of those getting acquired by larger aerospace companies. And my reasoning for that is that the satellite operators have a unique skill set and engineering capability that they've kind of honed in on on their niche kind of area. GHG sat for greenhouse gas emissions monitoring, Bluefield for methane monitoring, Satellogic for optical sensors. Whereas with the manufacturing startups, they're in a field that's extremely competitive with these large aerospace companies really dominating 80% of the industry. In the manufacturing bit of the value chain, a lot of those are just getting acquired, you know, sort of every sort of month. Is there a theme in the types of companies that are getting bought every month? So I think the acquisitions that are happening are of these tiny startups that are manufacturing CubeSats. So the startups that are getting miniaturized components from various subsectors and and creating these, these CubeSats on a mass sort of production scale. Let's change directions and move into launch. Can you tell us how these things get up into space in the first place. As a child of the 80s, you know, I'm used to seeing big rockets go up into space every once in a while, but apparently that is not the case, that these things fly up in in droves uh, quite often. Is that right? Yeah. So I think one of the largest subsectors of the space industry that has changed the most is the launch industry. In parallel with these developments in satellites and sensors, there are a bunch of innovations within launch vehicles. And I think this is what's led to not only a higher number of commercially procured launches, but also a higher number of satellites launched in general. And I think that's due to the fact that these launch vehicles are now becoming reusable especially stage one of the rockets, and ride sharing. As these satellites are so tiny, you can fit many satellites onto one launch vehicle. Um, I think in 2017, 104 satellites were launched on one rocket, which is you know the, the highest in history. That was Planet, right? Yeah, so the majority of those um, were, were Planet from an Indian polar launch vehicle. But that there are companies like SpaceX who have created things like the Small Sat Rideshare Program, a specialized program for these startups with these small satellites who, you know, just need to get two CubeSats weighing five kilograms each up into space, who want to just jump on a rocket and pay a pretty small price. So the barrier to entry has really, really come down, it seems. Definitely. And, you know, th- this innovation has also seen new companies such as Spaceflight, who kind of organize everything from 
you know, if, you, if let's say you have a satellite, right, you have a five kilogram satellite with a temperature sensor on it, you've, cre- you've created it, you've kind of outsourced the manufacturing, it didn't cost you too much, and you want to get this into space. Someone like Spaceflight will do all of the launch services for you, and you kind of go to them, you give them your satellite, you pay a price, and they'll organize the whole launch and put you on a, on a vehicle. So it's kind of like a, an airline ticket market. Yeah. Is it working? Yeah, it's working pretty well. In my uninitiated perspective, it seems like there wouldn't be enough demand for a business like Spaceflight to be viable. But it seems like you're telling me otherwise, that there are plenty of satellites to go up on plenty of rockets and there's a lot to be organized. I think that the reason why there is a huge demand for it is, again, because the capabilities of these companies don't extend to the launch services industry. It's historically been an industry dominated by military and government. It's historically not been a commercial industry. SpaceX is new, Rocket Lab, Orbex. These are brand new commercialized companies that are entering this industry for the first time. So not many companies are well-versed in the area of launching something into space. So what's the next big thing in this sector? What are you most excited about seeing? I think I'm, I'm most excited about seeing the new technologies that are coming from these miniaturized satellites. You know, the, the more time goes on, the more technological improvements, the more miniaturization of subsystems, the more we'll be able to do with these satellites. And I'm most excited to see if we can get minute by minute coverage, if we can get five minute coverage. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> it really would be. Another really exciting innovation that's happening is on the data analytics side of things, which isn't really talked about that much it's everyone loves space and everyone talks about rockets you know going into space but you know either side of the launch industry the manufacturing industry is seeing a lot of digitalization and mass production 3d printing advanced materials being used you know nano diamond coatings boron nitride things like that i think i think a lot of the new materials coming out are really interesting and then at the other end of the value chain you've got data analytics where, like we discussed before, there are a lot of companies just in this area who are investing in data scientists and looking at how you can create cool you know, ML models and applying different algorithms to analyze this vast num- amount of data. So the hardware is getting better, but the software is getting better as well, which will lead to more use cases and more that we can do with this data. So it's no secret that BNF itself is new to this area, to, to looking at space How did it start, I guess? Why did we start looking into space? And can you tell us a bit about the approach to the research? BNF has historically not covered space. The reason why I think that we're going into these kind of endeavors now is to push the boundaries of BNF and see what's really on the edges. Now, space is an industry that is related to all of the current sectors that we currently look at, wind, solar, oil, gas. I mean, even from simple things like monitoring oil and gas operations, wind turbines using IoT sensors to track predictive maintenance. These small satellites are related to everything we already cover. Then on top of that, BNF could also leverage this satellite data for our own research. The manufacturing industry for satellites is growing and using things like 3D printing, additive manufacturing, which ties into our advanced materials team. So I think there's a lot of crossover and it was just waiting to happen. In terms of what I found during my research, I was pretty surprised at how little publicly available data there there is on satellites and on the space industry in general. I'm guessing that's because of the history uh, of it being mostly military, government funded, didn't necessarily have to disclose. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that's definitely changing. I think next year and, you know, the next five years, we'll, we'll have a lot more data given that's you know, just even things like the launch industry has now become a bit more commercialized and the manufacturing industry, there are a ton of startups evolving in in this space that are trying to specialize in tiny CubeSats and in technologies and, you know, even in the data analytics side, given that this whole sort of value chain is, is transitioning from military and governmental to commercial, I think we'll, we'll definitely have a lot more data in the next five years. So following on to that, how did you actually end up getting the data you needed? So it was a tricky one. Um, I definitely had to reach out to a bunch of different companies and try and gather as much data as possible from what they were willing to disclose as the industry is so private. And, you know, these companies that are emerging are all startups. It was definitely difficult to get a lot of this data. So I imagine going forward, it could be a bit of a slog. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think the industry definitely needs to be a bit more transparent. And I think that will naturally happen given how commercialized it's becoming. All sectors start off like this. I remember back in the in the early days of NEF, we this is the exact approach we took with wind and solar and geothermal and carbon captured data. You know, it just didn't exist. And so somebody has to go out and collect it. So you're not only on the forefront of technology here, but you're on the forefront of research in terms of uh, analyzing a new market. Can we go into the industry growth just a little bit? Some people listening might think like all these startups are emerging. They're sending up more and more satellites. There's got to be a point where there's just too much, you know, space junk up there. In terms of space junk, there really are three main options here. There are some companies like Leo Labs who are investigating things like collision avoidance and signing contracts with a bunch of small satellite operators to monitor this for them, which obviously in the long term saves them you know, a lot of money in case their satellites crash into each other. Are they attempting to be an air traffic controller? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there doesn't seem to be too many of those in the industry. So we have these constellations that are making scanners around the earth and I'm using my camera to look down at the earth to gather data. But I think you alluded to in the report, at least you mentioned several times in the report that there are several different technologies available on these CubeSats and small satellites that go beyond cameras. Can you tell us about some of those and what those might be used for? A lot of these satellite operators and companies in the space have found their niche. So you've got companies like Capella Space, Satellogic, Planet, which are, like you say, focusing on these miniaturized cameras. But then you've got a bunch of other companies like Spire who are really leading in terms of atmospheric monitoring. So some other technologies include atmospheric sensors that measure water pressure, temperature, humidity, and these can be obviously really helpful to insurance companies and for monitoring weather, daily weather and and pretty accurate. You've got other technologies, including IoT sensors, which can be useful for for smart agriculture, predictive maintenance of wind turbines, vehicle accidents. The kind of fourth other main area for these technologies would be geolocation. So you've got AIS and ADS-B sensors that's kind of a use for tracking. I somehow can't get past the demand side of this, that it seems to me like these companies are launching these satellites with all these capabilities and then are going to these companies and saying, hey, insurance company, you could use this. You want to buy it? Is it push or is it pull? You know, that the insurance companies are saying, actually, I really could use some better weather data. Hey, how about you go launch a satellite? Is there one that's winning there or is it equal? How should I think about this? I think that it varies. The demand 
from customers is a lot stronger, right? And that's where these satellite operators have come in and said, we see this need for more data. For example, with insurance companies, if you just take the number of fraudulent claims per year, looking at that, they obviously want to reduce that. And the answer to that is more, more data. A great way of getting that data is to get this data from a constellation of satellites monitoring the earth every single day. So I think that in terms of a push and pull, it definitely varies. At the same time, these satellite operators have noticed a kind of, I guess, a gap in the market where if you have great engineering capabilities, perhaps from other endeavors that you've you've gone for, and you have that capability to create these, you know, these nano satellites with these materials, there is a market there. So where's the technology coming from? Is it coming from startups, you know, that are just getting these ideas? Or is it coming from large corporates that have already been in the space industry for decades? It definitely varies. What's common is, for example, a university research lab will design a sensor, for example, to measure things like atmospheric composition or space radiation. Now, usually this kind of research facility or university is is definitely well-versed in sensor manufacturing and scientific instruments for the sensor. However, they probably don't have the expertise to build a satellite and launch a satellite, operate a satellite. In that case, what we've been seeing is a lot of universities and research labs and, and even companies kind of building out this sensor. I mean, an example is Bluefield, who have a methane sensor, and will outsource everything else with another satellite operator. And that would be as a hosted payload. How common is that, where you have a satellite that has multiple technologies from multiple companies? So it's becoming more and more common. Companies like Planet Inspire initially started off with just their own. As they've kind of grown in the industry, they are now doing a lot more of hosted payloads from various other startups, various research institutes who have these specialized sensors, specialized scientific instruments, but no capability of engineering and launching. That seems to be the mark of an industry that is maturing. You know, it seems like in the very beginning stages of something, you'd have everything in house, everything home built, right? And as you grow, you'd have companies specializing, and then you'd have other companies that just bring things together uh, and get things going. Yeah, so um, we are actually seeing more vertical integration within satellite companies in the industry. Uh, A bunch of companies are actually fully vertically integrated, obviously excluding launch and launch services, but, you know, all the way through from sensor manufacturing through to satellite manufacturing, obviously outsourcing launch, but then ground station operation to the data and analytics, which is, you know, a really big emerging subsector. You've got companies in data analytics specifically only analyzing satellite data without operating their own constellations. From what I've seen, there are several of those that have popped up in just recent years, right? When we first started looking at this as as BNF, there weren't that many companies doing this. They were all launching and then providing imagery and then leaving you kind of on your own to do the analysis. But in the last couple of years, there have been a lot of companies that I've seen that, that have been offering to analyze the data for us and just give us a data stream at the end of the day. Right, exactly. And there are there are countless companies. There's uh, Orbital Insight, Descartes Labs. There, there, are, there are a bunch of companies in that 
area just kind of pulling data from different satellite operators. So they might pull atmospheric data combined with imagery, combined with radar data and putting this all together on a platform, analyzing it for you and offering these kind of packages based on different layers of data. And, you know, a lot of these satellite operators are also going into data and analytics with their own platforms. What's next in your line of research in this area? I really want to delve into the industry changes within manufacturing these things, because ultimately these need to be designed faster, they need to be built faster, and they need to be launched faster. And, you know, that kind of all comes from a speedy manufacturing process. So I think looking at that process and seeing how that's changing and, and you know, how are we utilizing advanced materials in this process? What sort of carbon composites are we using? How are we using 3D printing to make these satellite components? I think we'll leave it there. Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.